Hello and welcome to How to Win Friends and Influenza, a podcast all about life in medicine. I'm your host, Lily. Now today we're going to begin with a couple of shout outs to some really, really awesome people. Starting off with our number one biggest fan, Sarah. Here's yet another shout out to you, our number one undying fan. Undying, but not the undead, because when we met in person, you weren't very zombie-like. But also, I'd like to shout out to another Sarah, who is not that same Sarah, but is a different Sarah. So really, I'm giving shout outs to two different Sarahs in a rather elaborate way. So with those formal complexities aside, let's get into today's episode. Today we're recording on the road because we're going to talk to you about a very, very interesting and relevant topic. It's about everyone's first day. So it's the dream of many medical students to step out of their chains of impoverishment and into the sterile and artificially lit wards with their pockets full of hard-earned cash and a little bit more credibility from actually being an actual doctor. But what is it like transitioning from being a student to a doctor? Is it what Scrubs makes it out to be? Is it a joyous place where you dance around in the middle of the night, you know, on well-mopped floors in the um, hospital? Or is it a frantic, unsupported environment where you're suddenly plunged into crazy situations where you have to save people's lives and all your experience comes from multiple choice examinations? In those exams, by the way, you can just put C if you don't know the answer, but that doesn't really work in real life. So to answer all of your questions, we have a real-life doctor to tell us about real life as a real-life doctor in the junior years. We'll talk about the tasks you might get up to, the good side of it all, the stresses, and a bunch of helpful advice to help you in surviving your eventual foray into the real world. So here's Dr. James, who works in a major hospital, who rides a skateboard, and is a big fan of Ninja Warrior. So welcome, Dr. James. Thanks for having me, Lily. Thank you. Yeah, (laughs) thank you for coming on the show, taking a bit of time out of your busy schedule. So tell us a bit about yourself. What stage are you at in your career, and how long have you been working for? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm PGY2, so I'm a resident working uh, at the Alfred Hospital in Melbourne, which is a major tertiary teaching hospital there. It's the statewide trauma service. Um, wasn't too long ago I graduated from Monash Medical School in, in Melbourne 2016. Um, did my internship at the same hospital at the Alfred and have stayed on for this year a surgical year there. Awesome and now you're an actual actual doctor and that must be very exciting. So what terms have you done so far? Yeah um, doesn't seem that long ago that I was still in med school but in terms of what I've done so far a um, bit of everything. I entered thinking that I was going to be a physician, so I, I did my gen med terms, aged care, um, ED, urology was my surgical specialty, and then I ended up on respiratory last year, which was really fun. Um, we have a lot of lung trans- tra- transplants at that hospital, so um, that was a unique experience. And at the moment, I'm on surgical nights, but I've set this year up um, more as a sort of acute um, emergency kind of year. So I've got uh, orthopedics, um, emergency coming up again, uh, and I finish on trauma, which will be really interesting. And do you have any advice about picking the terms? Like, do you think people should choose whatever appeals to them, or should they map out whatever specialty they want to do and be strategic? Um, that's a really good question. I think it's both of those methods would be perfectly valid. I think choosing your rotations is a very individual um, type of affair. Uh, I've got friends and colleagues who entered internship um, knowing what they wanted to do. They haven't changed their mind. They're still gunning for it. And if you know what you want to do, then uh, you can sort of tailor the rotations you wanted to to suit that specialty if you know what the college likes in that regard. Um, 
otherwise, I think if you're if you don't know what to do, probably getting a bit of everything would be the best way to do it. And I think at least in Melbourne, internship facilitates that for you because you have to do a surgical term, you have to do something medical, and you have to do um, an emergency term. So you do get a breadth of scope there. Um, I think for me personally, doing all these different things definitely gave me perspective because. I sort of thought I wanted to do rheumatology, wasn't sure, tried a bit of urology and after a bit of back and forth, um, that gave me some clarity into at least what I would consider doing and what I wouldn't consider doing. So I think for me personally, the benefit was in dabbling in areas that I might not ever rotate through again in future. Yeah, so it sounds like practical experience is really useful because some people go into medical school already thinking that they know what they want to do, but you might not exactly know until you try it. Mm, that's true. Some people do. Some, some people do. But um, I think the vast majority of us uh, pretend we do more than <laughs> actually uh, know for sure. All right. And so far, how have you found doctor life compared to student life? Um, having money is nice, but I spend more than I should. Um, that's the perk. Um, yeah, I think overall it's, it's daunting at first, but I think it's astounding how rapidly you adapt. Um, the first, I I remember sort of the first couple of weeks really clearly. And I remember the last couple of weeks really clearly and everything in between is sort of a blur and it's, it's, it's really, um, sort of an exercise in self-reflection considering how I was at the start of internship, very nervous, very unsure of what I was doing, feeling like I was sort of faking everything. Um, and then within 11, 12 months, you're at this stage where you're really comfortable making calls. You want people to take your advice because you believe in your advice and, and you're confident to, to do things to help patients and to, to, to benefit basically the team. So um, it's, been, it's been a whirlwind. It goes, I know everyone says it goes by really fast, but it really does. Um, I hate cliches, but that's one that's stuck. Um, Yeah, so I guess that's how it's been so far. Yeah, I think time has an interesting progression when you do things like medical school or jobs. So on the very first day of medical school, it probably feels like four, five or six years is going to be a really long time. You can't wait for all the study to be over. But when you're at the end, looking back, it just seems like it goes so fast. So there's some kind of unnatural acceleration. And I would think intern year, for example, would be the same. You start at the beginning, it's terrifying, but at the end you think, oh, oh, that was nothing, that was easy yeah, and I so mean, quick. You're absolutely right. Like I say, to, I say to anyone or any of my friends outside of medicine or outside of healthcare who ask, um, the biggest thing I noticed was the instant upgrade in, in sort of responsibility. Mm. Um, I remember as, like, as a final year med student, even rotating through, sometimes you have an opinion, sometimes you don't, but no one really asks you or even if you suggest something it's not it doesn't carry that much weight and then within like a month after you've not even been in the hospital you've gone Mm -hmm. on break and you come back to do your internship or your housemanship um suddenly the nurses are asking you what do you want for this and it carries weight because what you say um will be the instruction that gets carried out um allied health will ask you are they medically cleared for this and you're like hell i don't know like a month ago no one cared what i thought and i could just like sidle by no one was interested my uh, it didn't matter but now everything i say someone's going to take it seriously um so i think that was actually that stuck out to me as the big thing that i know it's the big change um and that in itself was daunting but also sort of rewarding once you get used to it um because it's like hey now i'm not just doing books i'm actually doing something real yeah contributing to society (laughs) yeah sure (laughs) 
so that I think is a really, really great point. So if we take a bit of a transition to talk about statistical analysis. So in some studies, they want to evaluate people on either side of a threshold. For example, students who just pass an exam and students who just fail maybe by a mark. And they, they say that these two groups are basically equivalent because they're so close, but they're just separated by an arbitrary line. In a way, that's kind of what being a final year med student compared to a doctor is. It's like you are basically the same person, like you said, separated by a month or so, but suddenly you're treated as a completely different sort of identity. So what was your best tip for dealing with that sudden responsibility? Is it just um, fake it until, until you feel confident? Yeah, I never thought I'd say that, but faking it really helps. If you, I think it's not so much faking it, but having having the confidence within yourself to act confident even even when you're not and i guess it's even the difference between saying oh you know i, I don't know i don't really know like and, and 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 appearing panicked especially in front of a patient versus saying directly to a patient look uh mate sorry i don't i don't know the answer to this but i'll find out and i'll get back to you by the end of the day the answer is the same in both cases i don't know and as an intern you don't know pretty much all the time especially when you start <laughs> Um, but you can see how there's a different tack where if you play it off a little bit uh, more confident, I think there's a, they do this in acting, don't they? Where like, if you act a certain way, then you feel a certain way. And I, I certainly felt that if I, if I acted a little bit more directive, then I, I gave me a little bit more confidence within myself. Um, and it gave the patient more confidence. And at the end of the day, um, everyone's calmer, things get done better. Um, people are more willing to help each other out including patient with the physician in that relationship so that's that's one part of it um sorry going back to the question it was yeah so talking about how people can deal with responsibility but just jumping on that last point Mm. um i think you you raise an excellent idea which is that delivery really really matters and that's Mm. the reason let's say a patient has some terrible illness you don't just you know laugh at them and say you've got illness x you you deal with compassion and the way you talk really matters yeah absolutely um all this together is basically i I was really lucky i had very supportive teams um i started basically doing evening covers um halfway through the week and so uh, everyone else seemed to have a couple of days to settle in i was still feeling new but no one knew i was new so it was it was a bit odd like that but um when I was on cover shifts, I distinctly remember one or two, um, I think they were senior residents or, or, or junior regs com- coming up to me and being like, hi, I'm blah, 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 and just introducing themselves and saying, like, we know how it is. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be around. Any questions, talk to us. You want to debrief, debrief, talk to us. Um, and I mean, that really helped in dealing with the responsibility and... Um, basically feeling more okay and more more uh more like i belonged um and i think all all that together from all these supports is probably one of the main factors that ended up making me feel like you know what it's it's going to be all right awesome so it sounds like you had a really good supportive environment Mm -hmm. what if someone's not as lucky and they're put in a rotational situation where people don't have the time or the patience to go out of their way to introduce themselves any tips there um absolutely i'm lucky enough to um have been quite lucky with my with my rotations i think but i've had uh, i I remember one of my one of my friends when i was getting handovers from them for second rotation their eyes sort of glazed over when they're like upper gi surgery (laughs) 
it was um, yeah no they they you even mention it to them now and they sort of glaze out and they're in this fog of oh no that those those ten weeks they were terrible. Certainly, unfortunately, you do get um, rotations, and it's hospital by hospital, department by department, person by person, mm. um, uh, dependent on how supported you'll be. I think it then comes down to still people. People are the best support, and the people who know and have been through it. So whether that be um, residents who, who don't have the pressures of that specialty registrar job, um, whether it be, I know um, these particular particular folks made a because they they swap over evening cover for surgery, so they had like a WhatsApp group where they'd all uh, all de-identified, of course, <laughs> vent together right. and um, and have catch ups when they could. It wouldn't yeah. be often, but every every couple of weeks or something, they'd go out for um, after cover dinners or something like that, and even into the next rotation, um, they'd do things like that as well. So your support network isn't always going to be your bosses or your seniors um, but there's always going to be someone I think um, especially in today's day and age I, I think we're very lucky that there's a growing acknowledgement of uh, pressure and mental health amongst junior doctors um, and so it's going to be on the forefront and you're you're not the only one basically going through all this and I think when someone opens up to that and you have the opportunity to do that too it's all like, ah, yes, all right. Everyone's feeling the same way. We, we, we can get through this, and, and you do. You yeah. all get through it. It's a bit of a validating release when you think, oh, it's not just you who feels that way. Everyone is going through the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so on that note, everyone goes through their first day. I'm curious to know if you remember your first day. Um, my first day, probably not in, in great detail. I remember rocking up early because I, I didn't want to be late and then everyone was super chill and I was like nervous shaking my boots, like what do I do, what do I do? Um, what I probably do remember is, is second night. So as I was saying, um, I sort of started halfway through the week so I was quite new to the place and I was doing evening covers and it was my second night on and um, I, was the, I was part of the gen med team at a subacute hospital that mainly did aged care. And that meant that we were the um, emergency response team, basically. So how the system worked in, in, our, in our hospital um, network was that there's, a, there's tiers of calls. So if the nurses are concerned or, or vital signs are slightly out, they call a clinical review. And um, one of the junior doctors will come and do that. Uh, if you're, if you're uh, a bit more concerned or there needs to be greater intervention, they'll call what's called a MET call. Um, higher than that's a code blue, which is when you get ICU-involved anaesthetics. Um, but basically, because we were on the um, gen med team for this subacute hospital, we were the emergency response team. And um, that night, we had five, I think, emergency responses. Four of them were that second-tier METs, and one of them was a seizure that um, ended up being the, the highest level. Right. It was just five in a row, bang, 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 just myself and, and a registrar covering that evening. Um, but... That was daunting, and I remember it, it got to like 10 p.m. at night, and I was just like eyes wide open, like I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know what I've done at any of these. Um, and then the reg was just like, "You all right? Let's let's let, let's go let's go get a drink now." So um, no, I, again, the support really matters, and slowly you build up to it. Like um, it then became apparent that even if I didn't know what what to do about this medical condition, I could 
start um, making medical documentation because that would make the job easier for everyone. I could print off the latest blood so that we could um, have some spare hands and people didn't have to rush back and forth. Um, putting in a drip if I felt comfortable, doesn't matter if you miss, at least you've had a go and um, you know, you've had a, you have a, writing a pathology slip even, blood tests, um, all these sort of clerical things are a good way I think to start getting used to it and then you get the flow of the situation. And it was only a couple of weeks later that all, I think all these skills came in handy. It was like two or three weeks down the track. I was getting a coffee at my lunch break, which I was able to do because it's a subacute hospital. By the way, coffee um, for lunch? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Interesting I, choice. I, I, so I, I am an addict. Uh, I, I don't, not, not everyone becomes an addict as an intern, but I think I was predisposed prior. I already loved my coffee. But um, so um, I was at the cafe, which is right next to the entrance. And this young woman runs in like, screaming and like um like frantic basically like help me help me help me and I see there's like blood running down her legs and I've I've just put my coffee to my lips I'm like well I guess I'm the closest person here and so um basically whipped out a chair from the cafeteria sat her down asked her what was wrong and then a a middle-aged woman walks in after her takes a couple of steps and then suddenly bang like collapses on the floor I'm like I guess I'm still the first responder here Um, and um, someone was assessing her and so like one of the nursing staff I think also having lunch and so I asked what's the situation here what's the situation here sort of triaged in my mind um, uh, what was what was more urgent and I think it looked like the person that had um, fallen to the ground had had a, a vasovagal after seeing this person running with blood gashing right. down the legs right. um, without getting into too many details basically she'd run through a glass pane and had all these glass stuck in her legs and I was able to basically just do basic basic um you know wound management and care like no i'm not pulling the glass out of your legs she was asking me to like take it out take it out take it out i'm like no it'll it might make it bleed again just speaking calmly sit her down give her a glass of water take some deep breaths um we're going to bandage it up we're going to keep it there so that we can keep the blood from going you don't have to look at look at it um we're not going to remove anything we're just going to wait for um for someone who can um do these sort of things to arrive um and then with the lady on the ground asking someone to help get some water. And it wasn't long before um, more senior people arrived, but um, I walked away from that thinking, actually, I was quite, in retrospect, I'm quite proud of how I handled that. Um, Cause it was only a couple of weeks ago that I was like, what, I was pissing myself at the bedside. What do I do at this, at this emergency response call? And then suddenly within three weeks, it was like, you get comfortable. You've seen it done before. You don't think you can do it yourself. But when you're in that situation, I think there was a bit of autopilot. I'd seen people respond to emergencies and I emulated them. So I think it's really good to have good role models and um, get yeah um, follow examples, basically. Yeah, and, and that's amazing because not only did you give up your coffee, and I know how much you love coffee. Yeah, yeah, that was a shame. Um, yeah. But not only did you do that, you went into this really terrifying, surprising situation and handled it rather professionally. And I think... One thing that people say is you default in situations like that to um, the basics, to what you know. People don't often rise above and do something very miraculous unless, um, I don't know, unless you've been trained for it. So yeah. you default to, to what you know. So that's really awesome. But what you described is very, very stressful. So did you ever, uh, you know, yearn for medical school? Did you ever wish, oh, it was so much easier back there? Or are you always glad that, that that's passed you and, and you're a doctor? I think now I'm quite content with where I'm at. Um, 
But no, that's a that's a really good point. I mean, in med school, you have a close group of friends. You go to lectures together, or even even when you're in hospitals on rotations, you've got ward groups or stuff like that. You've got ward buddies. Um, uh, and I went to a hospital where basically I knew maybe like out of sixty interns, I think I maybe knew three or four, and none of them super super like maybe one well, and then no one else really. So most of my friendship group was not there. Um, I found it. Uh, yeah, difficult um, in a lot of ways to 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 meet new friends because it's sort of like everyone's rushing around their jobs mm. and they're stressed as well. So just on that point, any tips with that? Um, not specific tips. Just say hi to people. Um, be around. People will introduce you to other people, and then I think just making an effort to remember people's names. Um, I'm terrible at names. I'm terrible <laughs> at faces, but. Um, Reg did tell me that they did that they had the same problem, so they try to remember one facial feature or one fact about them, and then link that to the name. And I think that that does help a lot, and I think I've improved in that regard. But um, yeah, so that uh, definitely plays a factor. You, I think, I, I think, I think probably a lot of people were in my situation, feeling a bit lonely and cut off. Them, and, and I had a I had a lot of social stresses at the time. Um, I had family that had just gone to hospital and I had to attend a lot of meetings so balancing that with work but again I was very lucky I was very transparent with my consultant and I said this is the situation I've got some meetings basically that that have to be at these times at a different health service and so is there any way I can work around it like can someone cover me and then I'll, I'll come back like I promise and she was just like you take all the time you need you go like family is more important you're starting internship is a stressful time anyway um, and I'm very grateful for, to her. Um, I didn't end up using her as a reference, but I did email her to see if I could um, later on in internship. And she actually remembered all that and was like, how's your family? How are things going? And um, yeah, there are, there are good people in medicine. There, there, are, there are people who aren't supportive, but there's equally many people who are. And I think when you find someone, latch onto them, they're, they're a life support. Yeah, and, and it sounds like you won't know who's supportive, who's not supportive unless you ask. There's exactly. really not too much risk in... Uh, going for help if you need help so it sounds like it's worked out really well you've come across some really great people yeah absolutely um, very grateful to all the people I've met at my hospital yeah and now let's change topic a bit and talk about the tasks that you would undertake as an intern you mentioned some things that you could do that would be useful like printing off labels uh, taking bloods that sort of thing mm. now one perception that people have is either that an intern you know as a doctor you're going to do all this glamorous stuff and the counter view is you're just a glorified admin person so which is it um yeah look it it depends on your hospital and your unit so my hospital has particular departments that are very um they want to keep a certain standard of care and so understandably they only let very senior regs do certain procedures even if say a junior reg has done that at a hospital previously um and that filters down to the intern level as well on the other hand um other units are very happy for uh, interns to get involved and I think if you express interest people are, are more willing to let you have a go so on my surgical rotation um, the intern was is basically told your job is to manage the ward and yes it was very paper pushing sometimes you have you have um, medical stuff that crops up and you have no idea how to handle it and your reg is in um, your reg is in th- theater so you're just putting out fires until you have a, a chance to talk to them but I said, look, uh, I thought I wanted to do physicians. I don't anymore. Maybe I'll have a go at procedural stuff. Can you, would you be happy to let me have a go? And the timetables weren't matching up, but my reg was really, was really nice because he could see that I was actually earnest about wanting to try it. So 
I ended up running some flexible cystoscopy lists as the primary operator with him supervising me. Um, I came in on a day off basically to, to do the first um, procedure. So I got to do a rigid cystoscopy and diathermy as the operator. He wasn't even scrubbed in. He was just by my side telling me, I was paranoid. I was like, he was like, push the diathermy harder. I'm like, he's like, no, 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 harder. And it's like, no, 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 harder. Like you actually have to destroy this lesion. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Um, so yeah, um, expressing interest got, got me uh, involved to do things that um, I wanted to at least have a go at. And, and I'm not sure that I'll follow that path necessarily, but I'm glad I had a, I had a go because I may never do a urology rotation again. And at least I know a little bit of what it's like now. Um, yeah, so it's very going back to the going back to it. It's it's very unit specific. Some some jobs like my gen med job was was I think uh, poorly set up, and that's a systems thing. And so one intern would be drudging through paperwork. And if you've got a busy unit, that can't be helped because if patients are flowing in and out, the more senior people see the patients, the more junior people do the paperwork because it's going to be more efficient that way. Um, but I think the way to not be a glorified paper pusher is to put up your hand basically right. jump on opportunities if you don't know what opportunities are available ask what's around um and i probably did a little bit of saying yes to everything um and so i think i'm a bit i got a bit overloaded by the by the end of the internship and certainly the start of this year i'm a bit uh i think i chose too many extracurricular activities but um i don't regret any of it uh it's easier to it's easier to for me, it's easier to say, turn down something later or, or maybe delay something, delay a completion of something later versus regretting that one chance I had then that I, that I never will get to do again. Um, yeah. Yeah, I have so many things to add to, to that. You've raised some amazing points. There's a business entrepreneur, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, one of his big sayings is, uh, regret is the scariest thing because you have to live with it for your whole life. So you don't want to do anything that will make you have regret. And another big theme in what you said is basically asking for help or asking when you need something, whether it's support, whether it's putting your hand up and taking the initiative. It's just communicating with people if you have something because if you just say nothing and just exist in silence in the corner and don't express that you want to learn particular skills, people won't ever know. And it's, it's not because they don't want to help you, it's just they won't know. So, so much of it is, is being open, like you said. Yeah, that is, that's exactly right. And I don't think like, every, I think every med student knows this, you're told this, but, yeah, but you it's have nice. to understand it. Yeah, yeah, it's nice to see it in practice and see yeah. it working. Um, and every time it works, you feel more confident to, to say hi to the next, I don't know, consultant who might seem intimidating from afar. Yeah, and that's why self-help books are so prevalent because it's common sense that people know, but sometimes you just have to be told enough times until you actually emotionally comprehend it. And I really like your diathermy impressions. I just want to <laughs> add to that. It's, it's like whenever you have your first day on obstetrics and it's your first time touching someone else's baby and, and you think it's going to be really fragile, you might accidentally drop it. For some reason, the baby is like made of butter and it's going to slip. And you think it's so much more fragile than it is. But I guess part of medicine is that sometimes, you know, you have to stick needles in people. Sometimes you have to use cannulas and do venipuncture. And it's a little bit more hands-on, a bit more gory than... You yeah, know, we might expect. Um, and it's it's less risk to the patient. It's a better outcome if yeah. you do it in one go rather than do what I didn't go back and forth. <laughs> so I apologise to that patient, but um, I think my registrar still said it turned out well. So good, and it, yeah, it's all a learning experience. <laughs> all right. So, what about your expectations going in as a doctor? Was was there anything that was very surprising, very different from what you thought? 
Um, I mean, I've already mentioned the jump and responsibility. I knew that would be a thing, but I didn't expect to, to be instantly asked on first day, what do we do about this hypotension? Mm. Um, I think expectation-wise is how much time you have to do the medical kind of things. Like, there's an impression from, I think, I don't know if it comes from doing OSCEs under time pressure. Like, I don't know how long you guys get, but we have like eight minutes to do, do a station for us. Um, I understand other hospitals, uh, other unis have even shorter time. Um, I don't know if it comes from the, from the personality of basically, we get into medicine, a lot of us have been like, uh, do, do things well, do things quickly, do things perfectly off the first go, and you have to know what you're doing. Like, what if this random anatomy question pops up? You have to know it inside and out on, on the first instance. Um, I think one of the things that struck me is, because I was like, I panicked. Actually, you, going back to the first day, I do remember my first page was hypotension of like systolic 95. I'm like, holy crap, like, isn't like normal 120? Like, what do I do? What do I do? Showed it to my roach and she's yeah. like, that's all right. Would you like to see them together? It's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, how much time you, you have to do things. If the patient is looking at you, chatting to you, if they're awake, if they're alert, if they can eat and drink, if they're not in pain, um, you're okay. You have time. You've got at least half an hour before anything's going to collapse. You can go talk to your registrar, text them, call them if you're really, if you're really panicking. Um, you've, you can buy more time. If you, if you learn, one thing I would say is if you can learn basic, um, this is the only study I would suggest in your interim before doing internship yeah. is learn some dr- basic drug dosages for like pain medications and and um, anti-nausea. Um, they're invaluable because then you can just whip them out um, and then just tide them over, make the patient feel more comfortable. It, like afternoon ward round, catch the reg and say, hey, this is the situation, what do we do? And we'd often do this on urology because the um, operators are in theatre or if you're any, on any other busy rotation where your reg does their own thing, like on GenMed we had a weird split where sometimes the reg would see certain patients and the interns see certain patients, come together afterwards at, at a handover or or whenever you get a break and, and ask them then if you can't text them. Um, but you have time. You don't have to solve the thing straight away. If people are looking well and speaking well, relatively speaking, like they're not going to be doing jumping jacks or anything, <laughs> you're fine. Um, that's, that's your job as a junior doctor, to, to put out fires, to make sure people are okay. Um, and if you've done that, you're doing well. Yeah, and, and to be reasonably calm while you're doing that because that helps calm other people down. Exactly. Like they say, in emergencies, first check your own pulse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, the reason I asked about the first day is there's a theory in psychiatry and childhood attachments there that if someone remembers their first day of school, it's probably because it was super traumatic. A lot of people don't remember their first day. And so it's probably a good sign that you didn't recall yeah, that part Yeah, I guess of the my traumatic day. one was the second night as I was talking about, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I um, suppose everyone will come across some period of trauma. It could be something like a, a large hemorrhage. It could be, this is getting a little bit dark, but it could be a death. It could be something um, really scary. So how, how would you deal with your very first shocking instance? I mean, this, you... As an, as an intern, it doesn't matter what rotation you're on. You, there's so many of those examples. That mm. I, could, I could list just as soon as you're saying that, things like leap to my mind of mm. there was this time, there was this time, there was this time. I think it depends on the situation. Um, again, supports are really important. Um, I remember there was, there was one patient uh, who, who, who did pass away. I won't give details, but it was quite a... I mean, 
I came in at an 8am ward round emergency response call at that time went to the bedside this patient's dropping blood pressure systolic 90 systolic 80 eyes rolling in the back of her head 30 seconds ago she was she was fully conversive full conversations now she's she can't even take a spontaneous breath and that's a huge um, shock in in both sense the medical term and the emotional term yeah yeah, yeah. this was just at 8am in the morning yeah. i just got into work yeah. um i, I and i hadn't got enough sleep the night before i'm like it'll be fine we're just ward rounding no no this is the first thing that's happening not breathing cpr started i i did not do the best i could have i i froze to be honest and i i stood all i could do was stand to the side and let these people do what they're doing because i i was like i don't i don't know what to do right now black sort of liquid starts frothing from her mouth and coming coming out it was it was it was so surreal it was like a it was like a a movie I, i i i didn't i didn't know what to expect from that and then um yeah so um Unfortunately, that patient did pass away within a, within a few minutes. Um, my consultant at the time was very supportive. Um, he was a bit quirky. I, w- I wouldn't recommend this, but we ended up... Um, he, the patient did end up getting an autopsy to find out what happened. And he ended up... His method was to go through um, all the pathology after the, after the senior pathologist had looked at it and, and say, this was what was there, this was what was there, this was what was there. Therefore, we couldn't have done anything different. You couldn't have done anything different. Mm. I don't know if that was the best way to do it for me personally. I think a lot of people, if you're biologically focused and you, you want to look at the facts and yes, that's true, but I still felt, um, emotionally attached. Um, there was another patient who, um, passed away who I did not expect to pass away. Um, and um, the consultant on that one, um, she she was really good. She got a um, she organised an informal debriefing um, with all the nursing staff and invited anyone else to come. Unfortunately, I was the only medico that that went. And I think it highlights a really important thing. Like we keep talking about, we should be debriefing. We should be um, sharing sharing these thoughts. Um, the nurses were really good at it. I think I think the rest of my team was too busy to be honest. Um, that's a systems thing. But regardless, I really appreciate the efforts of everyone trying to find a way to help. Um, and then there's even less things. Like there was a patient who I was like, no, they can't, they can't have cancer. They can't have cancer. They're too well. They're 60 years old. They're, they've been doing this and this. They've got no risk factors. It was lung cancer. Um, I just mentioned, to, mentioned it to my registrar and they were like, yeah, man, like stuff happens. It's, it's bad. And... That sounds really casual, but that worked for me. It was like someone else who was, I mean, registrar, so still like, still going through their training, mm-hmm. still fresh in their minds. I got a lot of experiences like this. Um, and I appreciate that. Like, I'm not great about talking about my feelings, um, but I could tell that he was equally affected by it, or at least could empathize with how much I was affected by it. Um, and was willing to to do so without prying and basically just say, "Yeah, man, it sucks." Like, I know. Yeah. If if you if you if you want to chat, we can. But I appreciate if you don't want to. But I know. And for me, that that was how I operate. I think everyone has their own way, something that we come to. I've I've got friends who are like, sometimes you just need a good cry. Um, <laughs> I suffer from Aussie man syndrome and can't um, can't cry <laughs> on command, unfortunately. Um, and don't think I'd find it therapeutic as much as embarrassing. So I've got to work on that in myself. Um, but there are ways to deal with it. And you will find your own way because you will see so many patients. 
Um, I've had the fortune of first, first certifying death. Registrar says, let's go in together. And then a week or two later, I was teaching another intern how to certify the death. And there's a vertical chain of camaraderie where like, it's everyone's first time. People are the best support for me. Um, and I think finding the right people to communicate with you in the right way. Um, it doesn't need to be formal. It doesn't need to, to be a structured program. There's often not going to be one. Um, but you should find someone as a support. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing these really heartfelt stories. I, I can see as you're talking, there is a lot of care, there is well, a lot of concern. Like I said, there's like a million stories and everyone <laughs> will, will, find, will find them by the end of the internship. I do think this raises an interesting question though because uh, let's say for example if you're talking to medical students often the joke will be oh you're I don't know a quarter of the way through your degree oh that means you're still you know partially human you know as yeah. opposed to doctors not being human so how do you feel this has affected your empathy has it has it worn away at your heart are you are you a robot now or I don't, I don't know or is there a bit of humanity still there it's hard and I think everyone comes into being a doctor with their own brand of, if you want to put it, humanity. Um, some people are very good at distancing themselves from patients, and that's not necessarily saying that they're cynical per se, but they're very good at separating uh, work from life, and they can, they can be content with themselves while still empathising for their patients. I think for a lot of us that's very difficult, certainly I find that difficult, and I, I admire people in fields such as psychiatry, which I think is really important, um, but I can't do myself because I find that um, separation uh, an exercise in itself. Um, yeah, look, I think you, you will become more jaded and it becomes not necessarily jaded at patients, but at suboptimal systems a lot of the time. Like, why can't we just do this? Like, why can't we just do this? It would be so much simpler. Like, if we, like, just did this, oh, I, like, I can't believe we can't source the 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 images that they've already had an x-ray this is extra radiation why do they need to do this and and that sort of thing um you will get frustrated that you will have frustrating patience um but i think if you i think debriefing again is really important for me and not necessarily debriefing about like what's your motivation to get into medicine that's that's too heavy but to to get off your chest and be, be like this was such a frustrating situation. Um, and I think recognising that it's the situation, not the person. Every, you never know what someone's been through and everyone's got their own... It's, it's sometimes difficult to recognise, but everyone's got their own reason for being the way they are or how they are. Um, and not everyone gels anyway. You can have a perfectly like, good person, and if you just don't gel, you just don't gel. That's, that's, that's life. Um, but recognising that um, everyone feels this way... Um, you are in this job presumably because you want to do it for whatever reason. Um, some, of, some people are super altruistic. Some people find it super interesting. Um, some, some, some people uh, do it because they have a, another end goal. I have a friend who who's, wants to revolutionise the world of healthcare through medical AI and I'm like, whoa, I'm not that big. I'm not enough big picture thinking. But whatever your reason is for getting into medicine, whatever your end goal is, uh, or not necessarily end goal, but whatever your ideal journey is, um, remember that that's still valid. None of, none of the stuff you experience negates that. And if you're feeling like what you wanted to do or what you wanted, wanted out of the experience isn't what you're getting, 
then maybe that's time to rethink like what you want to get out of it or how you can maximize the situation you're in now. Um, I think forward thinking and look, I'm, I'm here. I think a lot of like, like we're at, we're at a sports medicine conference right now. And this is sort of sports psychology. A lot of athletes do this. You, you, you get into a, a right, you're not playing your best. You've, you've got, you've got an injury. Um, you can't change that. How am I going to look forward? How am I going to make the best of this circumstance? Do I need to take some time off? Do I need to talk to someone about it? Do I, do I need to, to say, look, I'm never going to be happy about this one, but this patient is completely new. Um, there's always something to look forward to. And I think having that prospective outlook rather than the retrospective um, is one way to tackle that, uh, the attitudes. Yeah, so a little bit of optimism helps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And definitely one thing that I think would help is a little bit of work-life balance as well. Yeah, yeah. So how, how have you found it in terms of time? Have you been able to do things like train for Ninja Warrior or ride your skateboard oh, the, a lot? The Ninja Warrior thing's still a pipe dream. I'd like to. <laughs> I'd still really like to, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not at that uh, fitness capacity yet. Um, but no, definitely. I mean... I actually found an internship, I was able to pick up a lot more things than med school. Um, the reasons being, in med school, there's a lot of pressure to study, to do exams. Um, in Victoria, a lot of the, in inverted commas, um, prestigious hospitals um, have, or even, even, the, even um, other suburban hospitals now, they have cut-off marks. Um, Victoria, you preference, your interns preference where they want to go, and certain hospitals will say you need to have this score to, to even be considered for an interview. So there's a lot of pressure like that and everyone's trying to race to build their like in your in your earlier years you're you're trying to do well in exams, you're trying to study, there's a lot of content. Uh, in your later years you're like, um, how do I build my C V? How do I stand out? How do I get into the hospital I want to get into? At least in Victoria since we preference. Um, so I found a lot of my time was actually in med school occupied by doing those activities to further my career. Uh, and on a very um, light wallet. So <laughs> I think with the benefit of internship, now I probably shouldn't have spent as much as I should have, but um, I moved out of home to be close to the hospital. It would have been a one and a half to two hour commute daily um, round trip. Um, so by moving out, I spend maybe a third of my salary, which is way too much and I would not recommend it if you can get around it. But then again, time and money, there's a trade-off. Exactly. I don't regret it. I really don't. It saves me two hours a day. That's an extra hour of sleep. That's an extra hour I can do, I, where I can do a hobby. Um, and I'm really into like learning new skills and things. So um, currently trying to do a bunch of body weight exercises in the Ninja Warrior style. Learning do, to do handstands. Learning to do handstands. <laughs> still working on that one. Doing things with Olympic rings, um, gymnastic rings and stuff like that. Um, catching up with a lot of friends um, because, I mean, you're never going to have the same schedules, but you have money. You can eat a nicer dinner now rather than like go to a food court or something. I don't know. Um, you can do nice things like... Um, I, I went to a terrarium workshop the other day because I've always wanted to learn how to build a terrarium. So now I've got my own terrarium and I love it. It's exactly what I want. I've got like, like a, little, a little frog in a little pond. You can add that to um, your CV along with your barista <laughs> course. So. Yeah, coffee. coffee. Um, I did a bit of like pastel drawing and stuff. Um, you, you have time because you're not... There's no obligation to... Unless you know what you want to do. Um, 
And by all means, if you know what you want to do, work towards it. But unless you know what you want to do, you have time to stop thinking about the rat race <clears throat> and spend some money and some, spend some time on pursuits that you've always wanted to do because you don't have to study, you don't have exams. And um, you've got a year to think about what pathway you want to consider. Yeah, so while I let you drink your water after, after giving us all this wisdom, <laughs> you deserve a drink for sure. What I'm getting from that is there is time if you manage it well. And as a doctor, you'll have a medical degree and you'll have money, which are great resources that you don't necessarily have as a student. So I don't think time comes automatically, but it comes if you if you manage it well. So just to finish this off, what is your best advice for anyone who's maybe an intern or a resident now? And just as a condition, you're not allowed to say find support because we already know that from you. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Hang in there. Yeah. Hang in there, I think. Um, you'll have crappy days. Um, you'll get angry at how much unpaid overtime you've done. Um, and then, if you're like me, you'll order a Domino's pizza for home <laughs> and so be forced to go home because otherwise the delivery man's not going to be there. Um, yeah, hang in there. Things, things work out. Um, a bad night is temporary. The next morning's different. The next rotation's different. You hate that rotation, that's fine. It's not your new belt. You know you don't want to do that in the future. Um, the further you get in, in your career, the more you can pick where you want to go, what you want to do. And if you don't know yet, the more time you have to decide what you want to do. It's worth it, I think. I think, I, I, I think that with the benefit... I, I, I think I went in quite cynical, like, is this something I could see myself doing long-term? And I think I can. Um, I think it's worth it in the end. Um, and if it's, if if you have any barriers, you don't. There's nothing you have to do. There's always an alternate way. Um, so I think barriers are either there to be broken down or walked around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's really awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all of these great stories with us. You know, and they're all true. It's it's really heartwarming to to get this very intimate sort of first-hand view from you so thank you so much thanks for having me Lily yeah and just to add to one of the things you said hang in there because every moment will pass everything is transient so all the bad stuff will pass all the good stuff will pass too but you can always find more good things but if you're sad that this podcast episode is going to end you can always replay it over and over and over again but if you don't want to do that there's always the next episode so we'll see you all there